Welcome to the Hidden Why podcast. This is episode 873, my interview with Diana Wu David. We discuss her new book, Future Proof, Reinventing Work in the Age of Acceleration. It's a really cool conversation, guys. I hope you enjoy. Hey, people. Welcome to another interview here on the Hidden Why podcast. Hope you're very well. Lee Mundelzee with you today, guys. Uh, This is a really cool conversation. We had a great conversation uh, with Diana Wu David. She is the author of Future Proof, which is about reinventing work in the age of acceleration. Uh, It's a book and it's also an online companion course about how to adopt more agile mindsets and practices so we can prepare ourselves for success in a fast-changing world. And it's very much aligned with what we've talked about a lot at the podcast here, The Hidden Why. And that is about really living a meaningful life, living life. You know, I think we get stuck on this treadmill um, of life and and it becomes a personal sacrifice. It becomes very comfortable, as she says, that we we find the safe path rather than the path that might actually create more meaning. And that's what we're discussing here today, guys, that conversation, what it's all about, where we're going with it and how we can all get there a little bit more uh, thoroughly, how we can protect ourselves in the future and bring a little bit of balance to it as well. There's lots of great takeouts that I took away from this conversation, and I am sure you will too. Guys, just a side note, the Ultimate Life Map book will be out very soon, so keep your eye on this space. There is a website that hasn't been upgraded, but it's there, theultimatelifemap.com, so put your name in there and you'll be subscribed. Anyway, guys, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy. Cheers. Diana, welcome to the Hidden White Podcast. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you so much, Lee. Great to be here. We've finally made this work, hey? Yes, it's destiny. <laughs> destiny. Busy people, as you said. Yeah, trying uh, to be less busy and more purposeful. <laughs> well, you've got a you've got a pretty cool story. So you're, I mean, you've written this book, Future Proof, um, which mm. I'll, I'll let you summarize for me, and, and that's probably where we'll take the conversation today. Um, but your the reason why you wrote the book, I think, is is quite important to put some context around. Um, this conversation. So, and it's a question that we always ask on this show is why? So why did you write this book? So the journey to the book began earlier. Hmm. Um, certainly in the, in the forward you've read, I lost my best friend to suicide um, coming up on, on 10 years ago. And she was the, you know, the 3am friend that I talk about in the book, the partner in crime from college, the one that, um, kind of fueled my ambition. And towards the, um, the end of her life, we had started to really just play the game and, um, kind of get, less, um, oriented towards our values, I would say. So we were both working, we both had corporate jobs. We'd say, Oh, you know, it sucks, but just that's the way it has to be. And, um, we started to play it safe. And so when she passed away, I really dedicated myself, um, to the idea of more purpose in my life and living, you know, the, the sense that there was not, um, all that much, time on earth and that anything could happen and that, um, there really wasn't a great, um, it wasn't a great idea to just keep going along. I I did a TEDx talk Hmm. about it, which was about running free. And it was the, the difference between as a child running through the grass with, you know, wild abandon and being on this treadmill that you feel like you can't get off of where you just, have to keep going and you're not really sure where, but it's just this, you know, glum plod forward. So that Mm. was really the kernel that, um, inspired me to change my own life, uh, of which the book is part. To play it safe. And you said to play it safe. Uh, I mean, your friend and yourself decided to play it safe. And I, I just want to elaborate on that. What do you mean by that playing it safe? Well, you decided to play it safe. Yeah, I think you um, let your fear drive your decision making. Hmm. So a lot of the people that I um, talk to, uh, the second aspect of the book um, that made me want to write the book is working 
launching Financial Times board director program in Asia and working with amazingly successful uh, people, entrepreneurs, corporate people, lawyers, et cetera. And um, the play it safe there was really, I have been successful. Um, so let me just keep doing the same thing so that I don't mess that up. Hmm. You know, it wasn't about growing and what's next. And um, it, there's a sort of fear that all the things that you've worked for might be at risk. And and there is that liminal space, that space in between things where, you know, you've left one shore and the other one's not even in sight. And being comfortable with that is really hard. Uh, and playing it safe means, oh, I hate this job. I, I just hate it. It's like I have health issues, whatever, but I'll just stick it out for another five or 10 years. That's playing it safe. Yeah, so you think a lot of people out there are, are playing it safe as such? I do. I think we all do, right, in small ways. If it's not, you know, the job that you're staying in for um, the wrong reasons, it's, you know, it, it's other things that you do that that um, hmm. are hard to habits to break out of or relationships to break out of. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's that kind of comfort zone, but which is weird. Um almost an oxymoron, I think, which is in, although we're playing it safe because we're avoiding fear or whatever it might be, I think the deeper reason why we play it safe is the potential suffering that we might experience by uh, an alternate route or change. Um, Yet in that playing it safe, we're actually putting ourselves through a lot of unnecessary and um, self-inflicted suffering and pain. So, Lee, I was reading some of your writing, and I think it was the resolutions. And one of the, the things you wrote that I loved was, um, I, I know I'm going to suffer, but I'd like to choose things that are more meaningful to suffer through or something to that effect. And I, was, hmm. I thought that was great. That was The idea that, you know, it's just that's life, right? That you're going to have to struggle and you're going to have to suffer. But um, let's choose important things uh, to work on if, if that's going to be the route, if we're going to struggle, let's choose the right mountains that mean something to us. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, you know, just in that journey itself is more purposeful than otherwise just playing it safe and plodding through life, doing stuff that potentially isn't really creating any meaning or sense of purpose for you. Yes, very individually. I think people, uh, the motto that I try to live by um, or, and inspire others is don't live the life you've been given, work hard for the life you've, that you want. Hmm. And where's the balance there? Because we all want, you know, we all want money. <laughs> we all want these things in our lives to hopefully bring us some sort of level of happiness. Um, and I don't know if it's always the right things that we want to bring that happiness that we desire. I think we, we often chase the wrong things, but where do we find a balance between, you know, a, this want, I want to be doing something that I really enjoy and then balancing that with the reality of life that, Hey, I still need to support a family or earn an income and, you know, have my part involved in this society and community that I live in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> I think, being very clear on uh, on sort of the deeper values that you have and mm. um, taking some time for reflection, not just uh, towards the beginning. I mean, I have in, in the book and also um, on my website a sort of checklist of 11 things to prepare you for the future. And a lot of that is about community. It's not just about, you know, what I want and I want this and that. It, it is really um, going back to some fundamentals. I've spent a lot of time traveling around talking about emerging technology and AI and virtual reality because I've invested in startups across my life. Um, and much of it, the conversation is about bringing us back to fundamental human aspects mm. um, and thinking about the relationships that we have in our life. Uh, and one of them is really about um, what you want and why and and how much time you're going to spend on each of those things and, and putting it in a bigger context. Um, so thinking about the relationships you have in your life and the 
um, the work that you want to do and what you need. And it's very practical, very practical, um, idea. Um, on the financial side, there's the minimum, uh, viable lifestyle instead Mm. of minimum viable product, which really is what financially do I absolutely need? Let me put it down and let me make trade-offs between the things that are important to me. Um, so if I want to go to art school and I can't put my kids into private school because of that, then let's have an honest conversation about, um, what those things will bring to you and your family. You know, is it better to be role modeling the opportunity to be creative or to be anything you want to be, or is it more important to save that money and, you know, wait five years, uh, and put it somewhere else on the timeline and ensure that your kids are going to the best school. Cause that's more important to you yeah. as a family or as a person. So just exploring those options that you might have in front of you, which often we don't do. We normally, we normally trade off what uh, the important things in our lives, whether we're quite aware of them and connected with them or not, those values that you mentioned before, we trade them off for things that are really perhaps not that important or necessary. And um, I guess, I don't know about yourself, but you went through this experience where you lost a friend. Um, I don't know if you'd like to share a little bit more about that, but was that a suicide related to um, the stress in her life due to her occupation or path in life, or was it other circumstances? So what really, um, what I think and what sort of informed me is, um, the lack of true community that Mm. was there in, in her village. Um, we were college, um, college friends in Los Angeles and she was from California and both of us ended up marrying, um, people from different countries. So she was in Germany in a small village that she moved to for her husband's work. And I am in Asia and have been for 20 years. Um, so I think that she, she did actually sacrifice some of her dreams for work, which frankly, you know, we all do either in partnership or not. Um, and then she, um, she was going through distress and I think, the issue was that she didn't, she wasn't in a place where she had somebody she could call or somebody who was looking after her or, you know, and, um, and she just couldn't envision, uh, a way to manage the future, despite the fact that truly, um, you know, everybody around her thought, finally, this is great. You know, she's, young and gorgeous and super smart and she can move to London and start over again. And, and, um, she couldn't get to that, that place. Yeah, and, yeah. and that is, you know, future proofing is, um, Trying about, to to that place. yeah, it's, it's about making yourself more comfortable with the future. And I think a lot of people, you know, if you're going through acute distress, that's one thing, but, um, a lot of people are, have been, really confused about, gosh, what am I going to do in my future? What, you know, how can I prepare for this? Hmm. Um, if they're in particular, if they're going through a transition, um, and so that was the idea behind future proof is really, how can you prepare? How can you take small, small bets and interviewing a hundred people, um, to find out how they had navigated, um, interesting reinventions and tricky, um, tricky journeys that that might yield some interesting results and then distilling those patterns. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do you think, I don't know, percentage-wise of people out there living today, does it take something like that where you experience the loss of a friend or some sort of level of trauma to, to like you have, woken up to, hey, maybe there's more to this? Um, or, you know, are people consciously thinking about this daily, do you think? Like waking up going, oh, this isn't really joyful I'm just doing it and you know maybe thinking about it but not wanting to pursue it I I feel that there's maybe a mix maybe half and half where there's people asking that question and other people just accepting it because that's just how it is yeah I think that uh, I work with quite a lot of people who are uh, transitioning from you know that sort of middle years to from success to significance and uh, my surprise was 
when, when I did TEDx, somebody said, Oh, you're going to go and have your midlife crisis on stage. (laughs) It's kind of a a mean comment, but it, it, it wasn't too far off. Um, and the surprise to me was that all these young people, um, came up to me and said, you've exactly described what I'm feeling. I feel like I've been at, you know, in a consulting or whatever for two years. And I'm just wondering, what's this all about? Are you saying young um, people like under 30, under 20 or? Under 30. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think young you know, people both. are more switched on with this sort of thing. I, I sort of have a feeling that, you know, uh, younger people under 30, 25 uh, seem to be more connected with, you know, doing things that matter more to them than the other. Oh, that's exactly what I mean, that mm. they that they are waking up to the idea that um, they don't have to spend the next 40 years slogging through to get to the top of the corporate hierarchy. Hmm. But then so, when does it come to that point where, because there is, it's, it's a fine line, isn't it, where you go, okay, well, I can sort of follow this path that's, you know, my passions or whatever, but at the same time, you, you're sort of protecting yourself in the future of having to potentially go into a job that you really don't want to do because there is just no other opportunity for you and you don't have a house, you know, you don't have financial backing um, and then you're living that line in your 60s very difficultly rather than setting yourself yeah. up for that, you know, like that. Because I think it's it's nice to be able to go out there and pursue your passions and, and live your life as it relates to what's really important to you and your values but at the same time, there's that life that, hey, we want to go out there. We want to create uh, financial security and an ability to protect ourselves. So in the future, when we're 50, 60, 70, whatever it might be, we can comfortably you know, live our life without the stress of money and, and all that sort of thing. Well, I think that that is totally right. And it's a conversation that uh, we're having at a global policy level. So... Uh, one of the big pension funds in the U.S. has done a lot of research to the effect that there are more and more people who are part of the freelance or the gig economy or starting their own thing, and they can have a pretty good life, but they put so much of their money into their business. So um, there's not a lot of smoothing of income um, or saving for retirement um, that people do without the structure of, um, you know, the structure of a corporate job. That's yeah. how it's been in the past. We haven't quite transitioned to a, a way right. for people to live comfortably otherwise. And I mm. think it might be different in Australia because you have the superannuation. I don't know. Um, but certainly in the U.S. where this company is based, um, it's really... But similar you know, situations, like a lot of young individuals doing their own businesses, maybe not putting enough into their super, you know. Mm-hmm. certainly yeah. there'll be that, that follow on, flow on effect from that. Yeah, I think that we're all, we are in a different way of working. It really is transitioning. And, and I think that we're trying to figure it out. When I wrote the book, I thought, you know what, this is going to be a corporate book. I work with corporates. Uh, I'm going to find out what they're doing to help people in this respect. And I, there was really not, not much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was sort of to page two. Okay, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I think that that's changing a bit that, you know, on the, um, the demographic side, you know, we're, that is where the financial aspect really bites. You are looking at people living longer than ever before. Um, on the senior side, retirement age is still 55 in some companies, you know, and people are going to live to a hundred. What are they going to live on? Um, so companies are starting to wake up to that, and I think uh, it'll be individuals, uh, which is why I wrote my book for individuals. It was sort of a, you know, don't don't rely on somebody else to save you. You're going to have to get good at thinking through this yourself. You're going to have to have way more agency. Um, corporations' lifespans are decreasing. Hmm. Um, so, it, you know, it's not entirely just about purpose. It's really about um, planning. Yeah. And being prepared. And there's probably not, even from my life, I don't think I have enough planning in place. You know, I'm very short-term focused, not long-term focused. Mm. Well, I I have to say I'm fairly long-term focused. So Mm. um, in that sense, I have uh, put a lot of tools into the book for people who are 
thinking about, for instance, over a hundred year life, taking time out of their job for some time or leaving the, the usual path and what kind of questions and considerations they might, you know, um, think about. It's not a financial book. I have a friend, Todd Miller, who's writing the financial book and we have arguments a lot about, uh, <laughs> about sort of which one is more important. Cause he says you have to do just this, you know, financial aspect. And I was like, but the people, you know, it's all about the people. So, but it used to be like a, this sacrifice, you know, sacrifice now, um, for greater things in the future. And I think we're, we're all prone to this desire for immediate satisfaction and, this short-termism that we we forget about the long-term. We forget about the idea of sacrificing a little bit now so we can have a better life in the future. Yeah, I, um, I think that that's something that you really need to balance and there's a sort of cycle back in, in planning of – you know, the, some people feel like the future is so unknown. All I have is the next year or two to plan. And I fundamentally don't believe that. I think that the cycle now is you have to start looking for signals of change and be aware of those and think about how to plan your, you know, your career, your vocation, um, so that you, you have what the market wants, hmm. right? If, um, if you're doing a, a really rote job and uh, you think that that's going to be there for the next 15 years, yeah, I don't think that that it is, and you have to understand well, that and huh. adjust and perpetually um, change your mix and mosaic of skills and character traits, and really think about how you can make money from that. So it's sort of a we're in that period of finding balance between this this idea of you know living a more meaningful life aligned with our values doing work that's of interest and passion to that old corporate way of sacrificing now working hard until you're 60 and you know retiring in a life that perhaps you didn't want to live um and that, that's where I, I sort of feel we are is trying to then now find that balance where we can have almost both well I think technology helps us hmm. and and to a certain extent demographics, you know, having more people in um, available for the workforce, having a hundred year life potentially where you have time to not necessarily put in 20 hard years in the salt mines and then reap your rewards. I do think that I think corporations are changing and the way that they attract talent and allow them flexibility um, and how people create value without necessarily being a part of a fixed um, corporate. So it is changing on all fronts. And I hope that continues because I think it's really important and I feel excited about it. Um, but I've also spent enough time in the, at the systems level of government and policy and whatnot to know that, you know what, we have a really tight labor market, right? So corporations are being nice to people because they're trying to find talent that isn't there. Um, and, uh, you know, and we have had boom years, for instance, in the U.S., so things are going pretty well. What happens when we have a recession? What happens when unemployment in a country is, you know, 10%? How does that change the equation? Mm. I don't know, but I, I do think that um, it's worthwhile um, perpetually adding to your skills and self-awareness and knowledge um, in small ways, uh, in the same way that you might work out every week, you know, to maintain your health. Just keep keep thinking about how can I grow? How can I, uh, you know, at a minimum, have a growth mindset about what's ahead? Yeah, maybe a good question is, you know, if this if this job that I'm in or this career that I'm doing all ended tomorrow, what are the other options for me? I mean, would that be a good question, do you think, to ask? Yes, I think it's fantastic. And in fact, um, one of the things that I think is very useful is when you ask that question, if I didn't have this job, what would I be doing tomorrow? Um is to take a small bet. So to experiment more 
rather than, um, you know, burn the ships on the beach and say, I don't like this, I'm going to leave my job or I'm going to, you know, become a circus performer or whatever it is, (laughs) you know, is to really say, boy, if I left my job today, you know, what I really like to do is, um, whatever it is, dance more, write more, you know, actually try to do something in coding or whatever it is, um, try it in a very small way and see if you actually like it. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and oftentimes, um, you don't, or maybe it just wants to be a hobby and either way it actually, um, gives you additional energy for whatever you're doing at the moment. It often ends up being something that, or, or it becomes interesting later. So one of the guys in the book, Brian Tang, um, was a lawyer. Uh, he was chief legal counsel at one of the big investment banks here and was sort of like, okay, I've done eight of the 10 top IPOs in Hong Kong. So now what do I do? Like if I keep working at this job, then basically it's the same thing. Yeah. Maybe a little bit different again and again. And so he had been working with his son on the, you know, technology and the maker movement. And he said, I really like that. And, you know, there's so many kids that don't have access to that. And so he founded his own, um, organization that allowed kids to partake and worked with public schools and ultimately had a girls team that went all the way to Google for one of the competitions and won the competition. Uh, and at the same time had, for his professional life, um, founded the Asia Capital Markets Institute. So two like completely disparate things, but really um, following his passion. And over time, he started doing more at the intersection of regulation and technology uh, because he was the only one who kind of bridged that. And uh, ultimately, after some hackathons, he has become the executive founder of the um, Hong Kong University Legal Innovation Technology and Entrepreneurship Center, which is a brand new center. And you know, that I like his story because it is about sort of trying the things you love and eventually seeing how they can fit into the work you feel called to do. Hmm. That level of range. I mean, that's that's that sounds quite exciting to me. Just listening to that. Yeah. Um, and I, I think, um, yeah. Why not? I mean, to get like I'm in real estate, right? So my career is is mostly real estate. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people, you know, we just get so focused on doing what we do day in day out that we we think we don't have time to do these other things. Um, and perhaps it's because we're just we're chasing after that that dollar or the money or the new car or whatever it might be the success the accolades um, rather than chasing after stuff with meaning. Well, I think that's true. And one of the things that I found back to uh, my friend and her not having a real community around her when I left my full time corporate job at Financial Times, um, part of it was it was going to be a year sabbatical, but. I found it really difficult. It was difficult because I didn't have a group of people who were going through the same thing. I didn't, I had a, you know, this fabulous brand behind me and a very clear cut role as a regional director. And after that, what do I say? Hi, I'm Diana. And, you know, certainly most big cities are like, what do you do? (laughs) What's your work? Um, And so trying to articulate what I was trying to do and, um, in a way that was preserved my ego, <laughs> mm. but, but also actually told people so that they said, Oh, wow, you're doing that. That's great. I'm going to tell my friend about you and they're going to come over and you guys can have a project together. So going through that journey of articulating, kind of articulating the why articulating the aspiration, what I wanted to do, what I was all about, interested in future of work, interested in board governance, trying to figure out how those, you know, circles overlapped for my unique, um, proposition Mm. took a long time. So I started a community around the future proof book and that is what I see. It was sort of a pilot. Like, would it be helpful if everybody else could, 
um, understand this and, and be there for each other. And in fact, you see that there's this kernel of an idea that, um, somebody has. And the reality is that it changes. You know, I have one woman who's in finance and she's really interested in wellness and that's kind of, um, over time with feedback from everybody else in the community become the beginning of ESG, which marries her interest in wellness and her expertise and credibility, uh, in finance. And so having somebody to, to feedback, Mm. um, you know, Hey, have you tried this? Or, um, you know, this is your community. So we have accountability Thursdays and that kind of thing. Uh, seeing how they go forward with that and help each other out, I think is, um, just beautiful. I feel so excited about it. Yeah, surrounding yourself with that community. I mean, there's there's so many good points in in this conversation so far, um, and I think I, I really like that idea of you know thinking about those things that you may enjoy and and going out and you know just putting your foot in the water and then just seeing if you enjoy it before you you go all in. Um, a great way to test the waters. Um, I'm thinking of at the moment. I'm, I've got three things that I want to give a go, and that's um, spear fishing potentially buying a kayak and kayak fishing and the other one was sailing um and you know you're not going to go out and buy a yacht and just start to sail so you can actually go out there and try these three things and say okay well which one am i likely to to dedicate a bit of time to before i go all in to an investment of a new kayak or whatever it might be you know what i mean yeah absolutely i heard yap has really good spear fishing by the way (laughs) and um so yeah it's 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 just uh and that's for your career as well i think that's that's profound um, with regards to the minimal viable lifestyle, I think this is a really important one and I'd like you to sort of elaborate your thoughts on it. But um, for me, I, I, I discovered sort of the minimal viable lifestyle through this journey of the Hidden Wipe, the podcast and the blogs. But then when I went to Japan, that really, really opened my mind to what that means. And I really started to connect prior to going there with my values and what's important to me and what I really want to pursue. And then when I got there, I really did have that that minimal lifestyle. I didn't have all this need for things and possessions and money and all that sort of thing. And I started to really enjoy that on a minimal you know, income, I can actually be quite content because I'm actually doing the things that I enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think it's difficult if you are sitting in your your house and you've spent years getting your environment to be the way you want and working hard to, you know, to purchase the things that you, um, you always wanted. It's hard to make a transition if you really do want some flexibility. Um, sometimes it's forced upon you, but I think it's useful to do that exercise before it's forced upon you. Um, because it really does make you realize that, um, sometimes it's not the money that's trapping you. And a lot of people may feel like that. So one of the people that I, um, that I know was a senior vice president in sales. And she talked about her journey of, she always wanted to become a writer, but she, she had kids and, you know, she was like, this just can't happen. Right. I'll write on the side. And she continued to, um, to improve her writing. And ultimately Uh, once her boys were in college, she said, you know what, maybe now's the time, but gosh, I don't know. I like have this big sales job and what on earth, how could I support myself? Right. And then she decided that she would do kind of like what Tim Ferriss calls fear setting. Like what's the worst case scenario? You know, I kind of feel like minimum viable lifestyle sounds a little bit less scary, but (laughs) she decided that she would say, okay, I can always work in 7-Eleven, right? If I want to write full time and I need to pay my rent, she, she looked at apartments that were one bedroom. She, you know, she looked at what it would actually look like if she was going to work and write and, and didn't make that much money. And, um, she's like, I can live with that. And anything else is going to be gravy. And now she's a full-time writer and she writes guidebooks and she does mountain climbing and, you know, she was able to deal with it because she understood what she needed. And on top of that, she could make trade-offs about what she wanted. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think we do it in reverse often, don't we? Yeah, you know, I think we we do do that and pair back to our needs once we have watched enough Marie Kondo tidying videos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's um, the, the the average person's version of going to Japan. <laughs> folded undies in the drawer, hey? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> what more do you need? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think I think I, I actually believe that that's where the balance is going to be found in in life at the moment between that finding that that joy in what we do and the need to, you know, sacrifice a little so we can future-proof ourselves. Um, I think it'll be coming through that, really getting clear on what our absolute needs are, what our desires are, but then finding that minimal lifestyle requirement so that we can just live contently with what we've got, enjoying what we're doing, and then, hey, anything on top of that that comes through, then great, you know, we can we can splurge a little bit. That Yeah, like you said, if we're used to this certain lifestyle, making that transition can be quite difficult for, for all of us, for a lot of people. And I know there's a bit of stoic wisdom there that says, you know, try and put yourself in circumstances where you're without so you can prepare yourself for when that time might come if it ever is forced upon you. Yes, absolutely. And in terms of the the saving and the long-term perspective that you talked about, mm. um, sometimes it's, you know, not about um, – getting very, uh, tight and, and tidy. Sometimes in your current lifestyle, um, it is about saving. It is being able to live maybe on less and putting things away until you feel like, um, you're more financially secure. So I, when I was thinking about leaving my job, I had very clear financial goals, including I want as an American to put at least the first year of college, um, savings, uh, savings for college into an account until I have that, I feel like, you know, it'll feel selfish for me to not be earning at the same level that I am for the next couple of years as I grow my business. So it's not, um, just being, um, very tight now. It's really about, um, having a holistic view about what you want to accomplish, how you want to live, how you might want to live later. Um, and and accomplishing your emotional financial needs as well. So that one, do I really need to do that? No, my kids can go to, you know, whatever, community college or state school or whatever. But in my mind, that was one of the reasons that I try to earn money. And so if I can accomplish that, then I can allow myself to do um, some other things differently. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. How do you work with people and help them I, and I guess it probably starts with really connecting with their values and what's important. But how how do you work through this process to make sure they're future proofing themselves? Where do we start? I um, generally like to get to know people. I love connecting to people, and one of the reasons that I started a course and the book is that. Um, I don't feel like I have the answers. And um, that that was born out in the um, TED Talk when I had one young woman who I remember came up to me and said, she was crying and she said, I don't know what to do. I hate my job. I want to get married, but I have to take care of my parents. And she was just really upset. And I thought, you know, I, I spent some time talking to her, but at the same time was like, gosh, what do I know about this? And so the vision behind writing a book with many people's stories and the vision behind the Future Proof course is really connecting people um, in a community. So I do mm. some work with one-on-one with people, just a few people, but I believe that my ability is really to gather people together and connect them to each other so that um, whoever it is that can be that person to answer your question uh, is, you know, you have that. And it may not be the same person every time. So f- allowing people to Different form those aspects. relationships. Yeah. yeah so you're about to start this community or this program, is it? I did. I did it late last year. A lot of it, a lot of my work has been in response to people saying, 
Diana, how do I do this? Or what should I do? And I'll say, okay, you know, I, I don't know. Let me look, interview a hundred people and then I'll put it in a book and then I don't have to have 80. It's a great level of service, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. Come to me with your problems. If I share them, I'll do something about it. <laughs> I'll write a book for you. Hmm. And um, and the book itself is really it has so full of you know um, picks and shovels and ways to do things because some of the people that read it were like yeah it's all well and good that the future of work is changing but what the hell am I gonna do <laughs> so I was you know tried to include more of that and then people who don't really like to read books were saying or you know some who do said God I really like that I want to do those things are you gonna have a community of people or are there other people that you could put me in touch with and I was like okay. I've had online communities um, that have been really helpful to me in my journey. Let's start one for Future Proof. And I have um, did the pilot course uh, with videos and all of those picks and shovels and exercises uh, and a Facebook private community. And it it's just been so um, heartwarming. I remember we were on a Zoom call mm. and one woman who's starting her company and has left her job, but is in that fragile stage where you are perpetually questioning yourself and going, should I do this? Maybe I should just go back to work, <laughs> you know, and she's doing so well, super successful. And she said, I don't want to share the things that are going on. It just feels too vulnerable on the call. And another guy um, across the world said, you know, I'm older than you, but in my experience, when you start to feel vulnerable, you know you're growing. And she was like, thank you so much for saying that. That just changed everything for me. And I was like, this mm. is it. This is what I live for is, yes, I can help people, but I can also connect them in community so that they can help each other. Yeah, and that raises a very good uh, point, you know, about the relationships in our lives and that um, sense of com- having that sense of community, Um we we are so isolated these days, and there's there's a big problem with that. Um, so encouraging each other to get out there more and and just have conversations with more people, whether that's through digital forums or I think even more importantly, you know, belly to belly with um, your yeah. family, your friends, and and even if you want to create a community group or join a community group, because through those conversations. You'll meet this person that can help you with X, this person that can help you with whatever, and you're also going to be at the same time helping with people with your expertise and knowledge and, and thoughts and ideas. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the, they are emerging. I believe in face-to-face. Uh, and at the same time, professional loyalty now is flowing horizontally to the various communities or tribes you belong to. Um, so I learn from the people I know online and I've done work and projects with people that I've met through, you know, a global future of work community that I belong to, um, LinkedIn even. I have quite a lot. I've been flying around the world because people will contact me and say, oh, I like what you wrote and I think you should come and, you know, sit on, uh, come and talk to the Association of Retired People with Adam Grant and Madeline Albright, and I'll say, well, God, that that sounds amazing, and I, then I get to meet people in person, and <laughs> yeah, and, and that really jazzes me. So I think there's a combination of the two that can really uh, help you uh, find the right people. Mm, yeah, fantastic. Uh, well, look, let's uh, encourage the guys to to reach out there. Is it is it best to reach you through a website? What's the best way to connect? My website is Diana Wu David, D-I-A-N-A-W-U-D-A-V-I-D dot com. And the 11 questions to prepare you for your future is on there. Uh, and cool. if they would like to join our course, we'd love to have them. I usually talk to people before so that I can make sure it's well curated. Uh, and that is just at Diana Wu David Future Proof Course forward slash Future Proof Course. So, yeah, I hope that some of your listeners will want to go on a journey of transition with some of my tribe, my future-proof tribe. Yeah, man, I, I think there'll be a, a fair few out there yep. that um, this conversation will relate to and, and hopefully elicit some triggers to um, to go and reach out and, and firstly start with those 11 questions. That sounds really cool. So um, just quickly, I've got a, a few questions that I ask guests and I won't ask them all, but do you have any, any particular routines in your day-to-day life that you feel helps you with your success? I have a routine of that I aspire to. I've gotten a little um, sloppy with it, but 
uh, waking up and writing. Yeah. Uh, I set my intention for the day. What's the one thing that I'm, I'm going to accomplish today, if nothing else. Nice. Uh, and I think about what I feel grateful for. Uh, and then I just free write for a little bit. And I find that that's, um, I did it because it was good for writing, but it's also good for mental health and structure if you have a fairly unstructured day. So I do that and I, I, uh, exercise, uh, at least a couple times a week and go for long walks. I have a list of things that I do that are, um, you know, that if I forget to do for a week or two, I start getting a little squirrely. So I think that routine is important. Yeah, for sure. Me too. I love it. And sometimes I hate it. <laughs> it's good to let go of it sometimes. What what advice would you give your 20-year-old self? Uh, well, my 20-year-old self had a lot of fun, so it might be sort of irrelevant. But I huh. think, uh, you know, that that's what I think about now. I think I give my, my sort of now self, have more fun. Loosen up. Just do what you need to do. Don't worry so much about things. Um Hmm. And my 20-year-old self was actually a lot more like that. Um, in fact, in, in partnership with my friend who passed away, um, I did take a lot of risks. I took a lot of chances, uh, you know, and I really appreciate that I had that time in my life in which I experimented much more. It wasn't until my probably my 30s that I buckled down and decided I needed to um, really climb the corporate ladder. <laughs> so hmm. late bloomer. Yeah, no. I mean, it's it's the journey that we need to go on sometimes, isn't it? Yep. What do you? How do you define success? Success to me now is living life on my own terms. It's hmm. really in the context of a well-lived life, not just my career. Yeah. If someone came to you asking your advice on how they can make certain change, what advice would you give to anyone looking to make change? I would start with these 11 questions. That's why I wrote them because people had asked me that question quite a few times. Like, what, where do I start? Uh, and it really just is, it's yes, no, 11 questions. Hmm. You know, do you, do you have somebody to celebrate with when you have a success in your life? If the answer to, is no to that, and most people will will have a couple of no's, um, then try to fill some of those gaps yeah. so that you can have some balance and support and, and identify where to start. Yep. Love it. If, uh, if it was your last meal, you're being served your last meal, what would you choose? <laughs> Probably coffee. <laughs> That's not a meal. Come on. I know, but it's it's kind of my one vice, the thing I can't live without. Um, What would be my last meal? Um, It would just be with my family. I love food, but I love all kinds of food, and I like changing it up fairly constantly. So You've got a menu. Choose anything you like. You know what? I was in Mongolia in a truck for an 11 hour, like in some Russian van with a bunch of crazy British folks who live around the world. And we had the same conversation. I was terrible at it then as well. Hmm. (laughs) But yeah, probably something, uh, you know, from my childhood. So uh, Mexican food, because I grew up in Arizona, some of uh, my friend Hortensia's tamales with some fresh salsa and, you know, maybe a margarita. Cool. What is the activity that gives you the greatest sense of joy? Hanging out with my kids. Yeah. How many kids you got? Three. Three. What ages are they now? 13, 12, and nine. And they are just hilarious. Good fun. Yeah. Kids are fun. Yeah. Uh, what quote, phrase, or message would you, if you could, tweak to everyone in the world or send to everyone in the world? Similar uh, to what I mentioned before, don't live the life you've been given. Work hard for the life you want. Yeah. I like that. And... This is quite a relevant question, but do you believe we all have a purpose? 
I believe that we all have a life to live and that we have a purpose, but that it's not one, One you know, shining star. Uh, I like to think of it as a lighthouse, as sort of the big themes in our life. And at any given time, for instance, you might be um, rowing towards being able to be a good storyteller like I am. That's one of my big themes. I want to become better at it. Um, so, and the purpose is to help other people find their meaning. Uh, is that my whole purpose? I don't know. Maybe it'll change in 20 years. Uh, or maybe once I get better at it, it'll uncover other things. So yes, I believe we all are here for a reason. I believe we should live life with a sense of purpose, but there's not necessarily an innate purpose. Yeah. 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 You get more than one. I'm hoping. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's a risk of, of these, you know, conversations about, you know, going out there and, and finding, you know, following passions or whatever. People think that then suddenly, okay, well, what is my purpose? I don't have it. I don't know what it is. And uh, maybe creates a sense of freak out. But um, yeah, I mean, that's not what it is about. It's about going out there and being more purposeful in what you do with your time and, and creating, yes. you know, aligning that with the meanings and the values that you have. Nicely answered. Yep. What do you feel is the underlying motivation behind everything you do? Helping other people live their best lives and life on their terms so that they can create meaning and impact for others. That's nice. Why why is that important to you? Why do you do that? What is that hoping to gain from that? I don't know. (laughs) It just seems like it makes sense. Yeah. It makes me happy, you know, and it it seems to make other people happy and it seems to have a net positive on the world. So, you know, I don't need much. That's good enough for me. Makes me happy. I like it. Well answered. Good place to finish it. Diana, thank you for coming on the show. <laughs> thank um, you, I'm Lee. glad we could finally connect. It's been a pleasure and um, we will share this out there. And guys listening, connect with Diana Wu David. I'll put the links in there for her website and uh, also the book as well. If you'd like to pick up a copy, I'm sure she'd appreciate that. And I'm sure she'd appreciate any questions. So reach out. Thanks so much. Until next time, peace, passion and purpose. See you soon. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcast. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose and in doing so you will discover your hidden why this is the hidden why my name is lee manutzi until next time peace passion and purpose see you soon